Welcome to the HSD Podcast Series. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Regulatory Strategy. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Lamb, RN, MBA, and Mock Surveyor for Life Care Services. And we are continuing our journey and our discussion through the new FTAG num- numbering system and the regulations contained in each one of the new potential substandard quality of care FTAGs. So our goal through this series as has been to really take each of those F-tags, discuss them so that you understand the F-tags through your next survey process. So today we're going to be talking about F-tag 693, which is tube feeding management and restoring eating skills. Welcome back again, Jennifer. Thank you, Laura. It's good to be back. And um, I'm glad to be here to you know be with you and to help our listeners understand these F-tags and to um, understand how the surveyors arrive at citations and how we can avoid deficiencies. Wonderful, wonderful, important stuff. So um, just in case our listeners are just um, joining us or haven't joined us for a while during this series, would you go through quickly and tell them what they can expect from this series that we've been doing? Yes, um, we cover one F-tag per podcast. And this explains the 49 tags identified as substandard quality of care or has the potential to be. Um, substandard quality of care is defined by CMS as having more than one deficiency related to participation requirements under resident behavior and facility practices, quality of care, and quality of uh, life. And these constitute either immediate jeopardy to resident health and safety, a pattern of or widespread actual harm that is not immediate jeopardy, or a widespread potential for more than minimal harm, but less than immediate jeopardy with no actual harm. And um, as always, we use the State Operations Manual, Appendix PP, or the SOM, and that is the Guidance to Surveyors for Long-Term Care Facilities. And this is in order to provide for you the same information that your state surveyors use when they come in to do the state survey. And um, we always feel like this is the best tool for you uh, to learn as much as the surveyors and to be prepared for your state survey. And we advise every time that you download and uh, follow along, have that at your fingertips and you'll have the most complete information. Great. Thanks, Jennifer. Let's uh, let's start with the definition of FTAG 693. Certainly. F-693 says that based on a resident's comprehensive assessment, the facility must ensure that a resident who has not been able to eat enough alone or with assistance is not fed by enteral methods unless the resident's clinical condition demonstrates that enteral feeding was clinically indicated and consented to by the resident and a resident who is fed by enteral means receives the appropriate treatment and services to restore, if possible, oral eating skills and to prevent complications of enteral feeding, including but not limited to aspiration pneumonia, diarrhea, vomiting, dehydration, metabolic abnormalities, and nasal pharyngeal ulcers. This includes um, nasogastric uh, and gastrostomy tubes, both percutaneous endoscopic uh, gastrostomy and per- percutaneous endoscopic uh, J-tubes and enteral fluids. The regulations require that a feeding tube is not used unless there is a valid clinical rationale and the resident or, if applicable, his or her representative has consented to its use. Consent implies that a discussion has occurred between the resident or the resident's representative and the physician or other member of the treatment team explaining the process of receiving the tube and the risks and benefits. 
So basically, it's very similar to FTAG 692, except that it addresses residents who have assisted nutrition and hydration. Yes, this goes a little further for residents who take in nutrition or fluids by enteral means. So what does that mean, um, to be fed through enteral means? Well, enteral means is just another name for tube feeding, and it means that the resident receives nutrients through a delivery system where the tube goes directly into the stomach, the duodenum, or the jejunum. Okay, and as I understand it, there are many factors that have to be in place before enteral feeding is considered. And specifically, looking back at the psalm, they list some of those factors. And number one is an assessment of the resident's nutritional status, which may include usual food and fluid intake pertinent to laboratory values, appetite, and usual weight and weight changes. Two, an assessment of the resident's clinical status, which may include the ability to chew or swallow and digest food and fluid and underlying conditions affecting those abilities. And those could be something like a coma or a stroke um, or, or a, uh, a potentially correctable malnutrition that cannot be improved by sufficient oral intake alone. It also includes factors um, affecting appetite and intake. Some medications are known to affect the appetite, the taste or nutritional utilization, and the prognosis. And then next, the relevant function and psychosocial factors. Um, And those could be something like the inability to sufficiently feed yourself, um, a stroke, a neurological um, injury that could result in some type of a life uh, loss of appetite or psychosis, or even prevents eating. And then finally, interventions attempted prior to the decision to use a feeding tube and the resident's response to them. Yes, absolutely. Those are some of the factors that that the psalm does uh, go over. And along with the decision to to decide that you want to use enteral feeding, pros and cons should actually be weighed. Um, Some of the benefits and adverse effects can include, um, well, for instance, we'll start with benefits. You know, it addresses malnutrition and dehydration. It promotes wound healing, um, allows the residents to gain strength and receive appropriate interventions that may help restore the resident's ability to eat and perhaps return to oral feeding. Um, some of the adverse effects is diminished uh, socialization, including but not limited to uh, close human contact associated with being assisted to eat or being with others at mealtime, not having the opportunity to experience the taste and the texture and the chewing of food, um, you know, the things that make eating pleasurable. Um, you know, there another adverse effect could be um, the tube-associated complications. And then the reduction of freedom of movement that's related to efforts to prevent the resident from pulling on the tube or other requirements related to the tube or tube feeding. You know, due to those adverse effects, it's even more important to make sure that the resident doesn't feel like socially isolated or have a negative psychosocial impact. That's true. Um, You know, there's a lot of room for this to occur. And so we have to be even more cognizant of that occurring. When a, when a resident has maybe been social before and went to the dining room with friends, and then suddenly they have to have um, a tube feeding, it's more than just the way they take in nutrients that's been affected. This is absolutely a psychosocial uh, impact. 
Yeah, that's so true. So true. So let's shift and look at our policies and procedures on food, on on tube feeding. What would the surveyors um, typically look at? Well, one of the first things they're going to look at is to see uh, the rationale for why a resident has a tube feeding in place. They're going to want to know why. Um, A record review will show them why it was ordered and what the staff should be doing for the resident that has tube feeding systems. The surveyors will interview the staff and they'll interview the resident or resident's representative to find out what the staff knows about caring for that resident with enteral feeding and if they're carrying out the care appropriately. Um, They'll look at how staff monitors the tube feeding. Are they checking uh, gastric uh, residual volume and are they observing the length of the tubing that would indicate if the tube is still in place or if it's become dislodged? They will look to see if proper care of the feeding tube is occurring and how often, and they will check the enteral nutrition itself to make sure that it's the correct formula, and they'll check for expiration dates as well. Um, The flow of the feeding um, is also monitored to make sure that it's set according to the orders. And, you know, when I select residents, um, I always have somebody, if, if it's available, you know, if a person's available, I always select somebody who has a feeding tube as part of that sample. And every single one of those things I just mentioned, I check for those. Okay, that's really good information. Yeah, yeah, that's good information. And I think it gives our listeners a great place to start when auditing how their staff monitors um, residents with feeding tube. So as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, the surveyors have those critical pathways that they follow to determine deficiencies. And there is a tube feeding critical pathway that's utilized during the survey process. Am I correct? That's absolutely true. Um, And they will use that pathway along with observations, interviews, and record reviews to determine any deficiencies. And I'm just going to take a quick minute to um, to remind our listeners that if they haven't downloaded those critical pathways from CMS, they should do that. It's really, really important, and it's really good information. I agree. You know, I agree. I was going to throw in there, you know, I go in and and I, I see the pathways quite a bit. Um, and one of the first things that I did was when they had the new um, tags come out, I made a binder and downloaded every single new pathway with the new numbers and made myself a binder so that I follow that as well. So, I mean, it's it's great information. I agree with you, Laura, that they need to do that. They need to make themselves a, uh, a binder or something that has those pathways right at their fingertips so that they're easy to use and they get used to seeing that. Yeah, that's a really good tip, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you. So now what we've been doing through this series is we've been looking at the key elements of noncompliance. So what are those key elements under FTEC 693? Well, in order to cite a deficient practice of F693, the surveyors must show that the facility failed to ensure enteral feeding was clinically indicated, failed to ensure that enteral feeding was uh, consented to by the resident, Um, a failure to ensure that a resident is receiving enteral feeding that's appropriate and has appropriate care and services to restore oral eating skills if possible, Um, and the failure to ensure that a resident receiving enteral feeding received appropriate care and services to prevent complications of enteral feeding. And, of course, remember a citation under F-693 can also be considered for psychosocial harm, as we have discussed in previous podcasts, um, you know, having that psychosocial harm element also can double the sanctions. 
Yeah, that's really a good reminder, really a good reminder. And then also remember that the psalm has good examples under each severity level, which will help our listeners understand what the surveyor might observe in their investigation um, and how it falls out under each level. So at this point, Jennifer, I think uh, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's discussion on FTAG 693. Um, as usual, I want to thank you. Nice job. Thank you for sharing this information with us. And I would like to thank all of our listeners and hope that you will continue to join me and Jennifer as we explore each of the 49 potential substandard quality of care FTAGs in the next coming weeks. So Jennifer, I look forward to our next discussion, which is what? Our next discussion, Laura, is going to be F694, parenteral and IV fluids. And thank oh. you for having me. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. So that's all the time we have for today. Um, we hope you all will join us next time. Thank you. Legal Disclaimer. Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.